Psalm 42. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is now our unspeakable privilege to once again come before you as children come before their Father, their loving, gracious, good, wise, Heavenly Father, to hear them speak to him. Father, we stand in need of a willingness to hear you, an ability to hear you, and the strength to hear you. And so we ask that your spirit would come now and strengthen this weak preacher and strengthen this weak congregation that we might together learn more about what you have spoken to us through your word, that we would learn more about you, we would learn more about your gospel and how you would have us live in light of it. We love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, this past week, as I was studying in preparation to preach, I ran across a sermon on Psalm 42 by one of my favorite preachers. And it was a sermon by uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Don't know if you guys have ever heard of him before, but um, he was a a Welsh medical doctor, legit medical doctor, who became a powerful preacher around the turn of the 20th century. And as I was listening to his sermon, I remember how I was first introduced to Lloyd-Jones. It was very early on in my walk with Christ, and it wasn't actually through his sermons, it was through a book that he wrote. And the name of that book was Spiritual Depression. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, why in the world would you ever want to write or read a book called Spiritual Depression? That sounds like a real downer. Well, the reason I wanted to read that book was because at the time, I was actually experiencing spiritual depression. And that was shocking to me. I was shocked that I was spiritually depressed because I was consistently reading my Bible. 
and, and praying and attending corporate worship and repenting of my sin and meditating on the gospel. I was doing everything I knew to do, and yet still the Lord felt distant. And so our relationship felt more like a one-way street in which I was pursuing him, and yet he wasn't pursuing me. Now, I know that wasn't what was actually happening, but that's the way it felt. And so as a young Christian, I was shocked and I was confused. And so I began to, to ask other Christians about this. And I began to read all the popular modern books that I could get my hands on. And do you know what I found? I found that no one else was talking about this. No one was writing about what I was experiencing. And so naturally, I thought something was wrong with me. And so I began to panic and thought, well, maybe I'm just not a Christian. Because no other Christian seems to be experiencing this. And you see, it was right around that time that I providentially stumbled upon my dad's old seminary copy of Spiritual Depression by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. So parents, here's an argument for having good books around your house. You never know when one of your kids is going to pick them up and read them. And I've got to tell you, reading that book was like healing to my bones. And here's why. Lloyd-Jones helped me see that spiritual depression was a normal part of the Christian experience. And he encouraged me with the gospel, and he gave me some helpful guidance. And so obviously, I, I highly recommend that book to you. But what continues to baffle me even to this day, is how this experience of spiritual depression or spiritual dryness, as I'm going to refer to it today, is rarely talked about. And, and part of the reason that baffles me is because if you go back and read all the old dead guys, including Lloyd-Jones, they all talked about it. Now, they may have called it the dark night of the soul or spiritual depression or various other names, but regardless of what they called it, they were all talking about the same thing. And so I began to wonder, why don't we talk about it today? Because we should. And if we don't talk about it, it's, it's to our own detriment. Because you see, the reality is that we will all experience this at one time or another in our lives. As Christians, we will all experience spiritual dryness at least once in our lifetime. So then here's the question. What do we do when we are? spiritually dry? How do we handle spiritual dryness in a way that glorifies God? Well, Psalm 42 actually shows us how. And it does so in a very unique way because it approaches the problem of spiritual dryness almost like a doctor approaches an illness. And so like a doctor, it shows us three realities about spiritual dryness. Still haven't given up on the, the three points, have you noticed? Three realities about spiritual dryness. It shows us the painful condition, the possible causes, and the practical remedies. The condition, the causes, and the remedies. So first, let's look at the painful condition. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me again. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, the first thing you need to know about Psalm 42 is that it was not written by David. It was written by an individual who was a son of Korah. And Korah, the Old Testament tells us, was a Levitical musician who was put in charge of the temple worship by King David and King Solomon, two of the most prominent kings in Israel's history. And so the author of this psalm is one of Korah's sons. And so it's most likely that he is also a temple musician. In other words, the author of this psalm was a professional musician. He was a full-time worship through music pastor. That was his job. And so what we have here in Psalm 42 is one of the many songs that he wrote while he was on the job. And what this specific song is talking about is his own personal experience with spiritual dryness. Now, why in the world would you write a song like this? Why, why would you write a song about your own spiritual dryness? Well, the reason he's writing this song is so that we can learn from his experience. And here's how we know that. If you notice in the chapter heading of Psalm 42, which, by the way, is original to the original text, he calls this a maskil. And according to the scholar Sinclair Ferguson, the word maskil comes from a term that means to instruct or to make wise. And so that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's learned wisdom himself from his experience of spiritual dryness, and now he wants to impart that wisdom to us so that we can handle our spiritual dryness with wisdom as well. And again, as we said earlier, he approaches this problem almost like a doctor. And so like a doctor, he starts out by seeking a proper diagnosis of the painful condition. Now, since he is his own patient, in a sense, what he does is he listens to himself. He listens to his own heart. And why does he do that? He does that so he can understand his own heart's condition. And that should make sense to us because that's what any good doctor does, right? He doesn't just roll into your life and start telling you what's wrong with you. No, he first listens to you as you tell him how you're feeling. And only after he's heard and understood you does he then give you a diagnosis. And so that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's listening to his own heart. And here's what he discovers. He discovers that his heart is on the brink of spiritual death. And how do we know that? Well, because of how he describes himself. And he describes himself in verse 1 by using a word picture. And here's what he says. He says that he's like a deer that pants for streams of water. Now, I don't know if you've had many opportunities to, to watch deer in the wild, but I have. And the reason for that is because one of my favorite things to do in all the world, everyone's going to think I'm a terrible person now, but one of my favorite things to do in all the world is to hunt deer. And when you're hunting deer, you spend a lot of time observing the deer and, and watching the deer. And so one thing that I can tell you is that I've never 
ever seen a deer pant? Even, in a, even after it's been chased for miles and miles. And do you know why I've never seen a deer pant? Because deer only pant when they're just about to die from thirst. Because normally, when a deer is thirsty, it just drinks some water. It doesn't pant. It quenches its thirst immediately. And so the picture that the psalmist is painting for us here is that of a deer that's searching frantically for streams of water with what little strength it has before it dies. But you see, its search is hopeless. Why? Because there's a drought in the land. And so all the riverbeds are dry, and so this deer is about, to dry, is about to die. That's the word picture. And what the psalmist is saying is that he is the deer, and that God is the stream that he can't seem to find. So he's thirsting after God, but he can't find him because he's in the midst of a spiritual drought. And so as a result of that, he feels like he's about to die from spiritual dryness, just like a deer that's panting, is about to die. So this is his painful condition. His diagnosis is that he's spiritually dry because he's downcast and he's in turmoil. Now, I don't know about you, but I've actually experienced this before. And I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. It's one of the most painful conditions in the world. But here's the problem that some of us run into. Some of you are probably sitting in your seats right now thinking to yourself, are you kidding me? A Christian can't experience that kind of spiritual dryness. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We have all that we need in Jesus, and we are commanded to be filled with joy. So don't try to tell me that a Christian can experience spiritual dryness. That's what some of you are probably thinking. But you see, this psalm shows us that Christians can and do experience spiritual dryness. Christians do experience this painful condition. And so, what, and so we need to come to grips with that. We need to realize that. And do you know why? Because when it happens to you, Christian, or it happens to one of your close friends or family members who are Christians, what are you going to do? How will you counsel yourself in this condition? How will you counsel other Christians in this condition? Well, if you don't come to grips with the fact that this, is, this actually happens to every Christian at one time or another, first of all, you're going to despair when it happens to you. You're going to beat yourself up and be flooded with doubts and fears. Why? Because you don't think this happens to Christians. And you know what? You'll do the exact same thing to other Christians when they're going through this as well. And so what will happen is that you'll become one of Job's friends. You'll ask them, come on, be honest with me. What did you do that brought this on? What sin did you commit? What spiritual disciplines have you been neglecting? Those are the kind of questions that you'll ask. And you see, by asking those questions, you'll be tempting them to despair, and you'll be encouraging them to beat themselves up, and you'll flood them with doubts. And let me tell you, that's nothing you want to take part in. Because I've done it before. I've done it to other people, and I've wept over it and repented of it because it was wrong. And here's the thing. Don't think for a moment that God takes the giving of bad counsel lightly because he doesn't. I mean, do you remember what happens at the end of the book of Job? God says he's going to destroy 
Job's bad counselors. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to kill them. And it's only after Job prays for them and intercedes for them that God relents and spares them. So God takes giving bad counsel very seriously. And so we should seek as Christians to be very wise and loving in the counsel that we give both to ourselves and to others, especially when either we or they are in a situation like this, in the painful condition of being spiritually dry. Because whether we're walking through that ourselves or we're walking someone else through that, we must, we must, we must be patient. And do you know why that is? Because progress through spiritual dryness is often painfully slow. And so if we don't take the time to listen and understand the painful condition of the spiritually dry, then we will be of no help to them. And we will be unloving to them. So you see, the psalmist is teaching us that the way of wisdom through spiritual dryness is, first of all, to understand the painful condition. But he doesn't just stop there. Because just like a good doctor, he understands that it's not enough to simply know the painful condition of a patient. A good doctor also needs to know what caused that condition, which is why he then goes on to show us the possible causes. The possible causes. Look at verses 5 through 7 with me again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now if you've ever gone to the doctor and your doctor finds that something is wrong with you, you know that one of the first things he's going to do is try to figure out why there's something wrong with you. Because if we address the reason why something is wrong with you, then maybe we can get rid of the condition. So, for example, if you have high blood pressure, your doctor is going to ask you, are you consistently exercising? Or what's your diet like? Or have you been particularly stressed lately? And the reason he's going to ask those questions is to try to find out what caused your high blood pressure. Now, he can't know for certain what caused your high blood pressure, but that's not really his goal. His goal is to simply find out what the probable causes are. Because at the end of the day, that's all we can really hope for. And that's essentially what the psalmist shows us next. He tells us that when we are in spiritual dryness, we should seek out the probable causes. And as far as I can tell, there may be more, but the psalmist seems to list four possible causes for his spiritual dryness. Um, Let me give you all four of them, and then we'll look at each one. He says there's four possible causes. There's the spiritual, the physical, the relational, and the situational. So first, let's look at the possible spiritual cause. Now, the possible spiritual cause is probably the most obvious. Obviously, he's spiritually dry because he's not experiencing the nearness of God. That's what he says in verses 1 and 2. He's longing for God, he's thirsting for God, and yet he can't seem to find God. And it's not that he's doubting God's existence. He's not wavering in his beliefs. It's that he's not experiencing God's presence and God's favor. 
And so that's why he says in verse 7 that it feels like God is judging me. It's like the waters of your judgment are pummeling me. They're roaring upon me like a waterfall. They're breaking upon me like waves and overtaking me like a riptide in the ocean. That's how the psalmist feels. So you see, the possible spiritual cause is that God feels distant from him. It feels like God has forgotten him. And the second possible cause is the physical the physical. Now, you may be wondering to yourself, where in the world are you seeing in the text that there's a possible physical cause? Well, believe it or not, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is actually the one who pointed it out to me. He pointed it out to me in his sermon on Psalm 42. And so if you look at verse 3, you'll notice that the psalmist says, my tears have been my food day and night. In other words, what he's saying here is that he's not eating because his tears are his food. And he's also saying that he's not sleeping. Because if you're crying all night, then guess what you're not doing? You're not sleeping. So he's not eating and he's not sleeping. And both of these are signs of clinical depression. Now our goal isn't to try to figure out if the physical caused the spiritual or if the spiritual caused the physical. The the point is that both are involved and that the one affects the other. And so very often what can happen during a season of spiritual dryness, is that you can become so weak physically that if your physical needs aren't dealt with first, then your spiritual needs will never be addressed because you're just too run down physically. And so you need food and water and rest and perhaps medication of some sort. Why? Because we are both body and soul. That's how God created us. So to try to live in any other way is a defiance of how he set up his universe. And so when we're spiritually dry, it's not enough to just focus on the spiritual. As important as that is, we also have to focus on the physical as well. Because a malfunction in our physical bodies can be a possible cause for our spiritual dryness. Now the third possible cause is relational. Relational. And the reason we know that is because the psalmist tells us that he is far away from his community of believers. If you look at verse 6, he says that he is in the land of Jordan and of Hermon in Mount Mizar. Now, where in the world is that? Well, let me tell you where it isn't, because that's a whole lot easier. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not where God's temple was. It's not where his community of faith was. So you see, the psalmist is in exile. Now, we don't know why he's in exile, and we don't know for how long he's been in exile, but what we do know is that he's far from home. He's far from the ones he knows and loves. And so what does he do? Well, in verse 4, he remembers what it was like to worship God with his community of believers. And he remembers how he would actually lead them in worship. Because remember, his job in his community was to lead worship as a son of Korah. And so he's remembering how he was filled with glad shouts and songs of praise as he worshiped God with his community. But you see, remembering that also makes him sad because he doesn't get to do that anymore. He doesn't get to be with and serve his community in that way. And so it saddens him. And you can relate to this, can't you? Aren't you sad when you can't be with the the ones you love? When you can't serve them? You are, aren't you? 
And why is that? Because God has made us for community, for relationships. That's part of our being made in his image. He's a relational being, and so we too are relational beings. And so that's why it's not good for man to be alone, because when we're isolated from our fellow believers, it's most likely going to cause us to be spiritually dry. And the last possible cause that we'll look at is the situational. The situational. And what we mean when we're talking about the situational is the circumstances that are happening around us. And one of the most pressing circumstances in the psalmist's life are the tauntings of his enemies. If you look at verse 3, we see that his enemies are saying to him all day long, constantly, where is your God? If your God is so great, then why doesn't he deliver you? If your God is so good, then why does he let you suffer like this? If your God is so faithful, then why has he abandoned you? These were the questions that they were taunting him with. And so rather than being surrounded with the praises of his believing community in honor to God, (coughs) he is now surrounded with the jeerings of a faithless people who demean his God. And so understandably, it's getting to him. It's starting to wear him down. And so that's why he asks God in verse 9, Why have you forgotten me? Because I am mourning under the oppression of the enemy. And then in verse 10, because as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. It's like he's saying, I'm so weak from everything else that's going wrong in my life that I think the tauntings of my enemies may be the end of me. Now, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been burdened by the jeering and taunting and slandering of your enemies? That's exactly how the psalmist feels. And that's why he mentions it as one of the possible causes of his spiritual dryness. So you see, the psalmist has good reason to be discouraged, doesn't he? Because spiritually, God is distant from him. And physically, he's falling apart. And relationally, he's away from his community and his vocation. And situationally, he's surrounded by the taunting of his enemies. So is it any wonder that he's cast down and spiritually dry? It shouldn't surprise any of us. But there's one thing that might surprise us. Did you notice that he didn't mention his own sin as a possible cause for his spiritual dryness? Did you notice that? Now, certainly our own sin can be a possible cause for our spiritual dryness. I'm not saying that it never is. Just read the rest of the Psalms and you'll see that that's not the case. But in this instance, he has no sin to repent of. There's no repentance in this Psalm at all. And that's significant. Do you know why? Because it tells us that sometimes we can be in a season of spiritual dryness and it's not because of a sin that we've committed. Now don't get me wrong, we most likely will sin once we are in that state of spiritual dryness, but that doesn't mean that our sin was a cause of our spiritual dryness. Do you see the distinction? Well, it's an important one. Because our go-to as Christians is to assume that if someone is spiritually dry, it's either because of a sin that they've committed or because they aren't spending enough time reading their Bibles and praying. Now that might be the cause 
But what this text is showing us is that there are times when we will experience spiritual dryness even though we haven't sinned and even though we are pursuing God. So we've seen the painful condition, the possible causes. Now lastly, let's look at the practical remedies. The practical remedies. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me again. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. Now, as we look at the practical remedies, I want you to know something really important right up front. Hear me out on this. I am not, I am not saying that these are cures. In other words, I'm not telling you that if you just do these things, then your spiritual dryness will simply go away. Now, I wish I could give you a cure like that, but there isn't one. The Bible doesn't give us a cure. But what it does give us are practical remedies that can help us take one day at a time, one moment at a time, as we walk with God and each other through spiritual dryness. And so, having said that, I've got three practical remedies for you from Psalm 42. Three practical remedies. Look at this. I've got three within the three. How about that? The first practical remedy is to ask and listen. Ask and listen. And here's what I mean by that. Ask good questions of yourself. And then listen to how your heart responds. Because isn't that exactly what the psalmist is doing here? He's asking himself in verse 2, When shall I come and appear before God? And then in verse (coughs) 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then in verse 9, Why has God forgotten me? And then in verse 9 again, Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? And then in verse 11, he closes the psalm by asking himself again, Why are you cast down within me? So you see, he's peppering himself with questions. And why is he doing that? He's doing that so he can listen to his heart respond to those questions. Now, why is that helpful? Why is it helpful to listen to how your heart responds? Well, here's why. Because your heart is constantly talking to you. Your heart is constantly interpreting everything that happens around you. And so, as a result of that, guess what? Your heart is the biggest influence in your life. And so, for that very reason, you should know your heart and you should understand your heart. And the only way you can do that is if you ask good questions of it and then listen to it. Now, having said that, just because your heart wields This kind of influence doesn't mean that it's a positive influence. doesn't mean that it's a a trustworthy influence. Because the fact of the matter is that it's not. Your heart cannot be ultimately trusted. Even as a Christian, with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you can't ultimately trust your own heart. And so you see, that's why you have to question it. That's why your heart must be cross-examined. Because its interpretation of the world around you is ultimately not trustworthy. And so it's for that very reason that asking and listening are important. 
but they're not enough. It's an essential remedy, but it's not a sufficient remedy. And that's why we need the second remedy. And the second remedy is to preach the gospel to yourself. You must preach the gospel to yourself. And the reason for that is because your heart is not naturally going to do that for you. If left to itself, your heart will either be delusional, telling you that things are better than they actually are, or despairing, telling you that things are worse than they actually are. And everybody's heart is wired a little differently in that area. Some of us are more delusional, we call them optimists, and some of us are more despairing, we call them pessimists. But either way, no one's natural default is to preach the gospel to themselves. And so eventually, at some point, you have to stop listening to your heart and you need to start preaching the gospel to your heart. Because that's what we see the psalmist doing here. In both verses 5 and 11, he tells himself, Hope in God, O heart of mine, for I shall, I will, by the grace of God, praise him again. Why? Because he is my salvation and my God. So you see, eventually he stops listening to himself and instead he preaches to himself. And I wonder, Christian, do you know how to preach to yourself? Do you know how to preach to yourself when you're spiritually dry? Well, if you don't, here's how to do it. Preach Jesus to yourself. When you are spiritually thirsty, point yourself to Jesus as he is on the cross. Because what does Jesus say in John 19, 28? You don't have to turn there, but Jesus says, in order to fulfill all scriptures, he says these two simple words, I thirst. I thirst. And so do you know why he's thirsty? It's not because he's physically thirsty. It's because he's spiritually thirsty. And why is he spiritually thirsty? Because God has abandoned him. You see, the psalmist only ever felt like he was spiritually thirsty, like God had abandoned him and had made him an object of God's scorn. He felt that way, but it wasn't actually true. You see, in Jesus' case, it was true. God had abandoned him. God had made him an object of his scorn. And why did God do that? He did that to Jesus because that's what we deserved. We deserve to be abandoned and scorned by God because we have sinned and we have rebelled against him. And so for that sin, we deserve to be punished. But you see, on the cross, Jesus is taking that punishment upon himself in our place. And so he's experiencing our thirst our abandonment, our scorn. And so because Jesus did that, even when we feel like God is a million miles away, we can know that he will never leave us or forsake us. So preach that to yourself. Because what your heart is going to tell you is, see, God's finally left you. You're a failure. You're inadequate. And so he's left you. Just like everyone else in your life. But you see, those are lies. So don't listen to them. Don't listen to the lie that God has abandoned you. Instead, preach the truth to yourself that God will never leave you. 
He will never abandon you because he already abandoned Jesus on the cross in our place. That's how you preach the gospel to yourself. But I want to be careful here because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, look at how much worse Jesus had it than you and then suck it up. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, look to Jesus and realize that he's experienced everything that you're going through. So he understands. And then realize that he is patiently walking with you, right by your side, through your spiritual dryness. I know it doesn't feel that way, but that's the reality. And so we need to preach the reality of the gospel to ourselves. Because our hearts will only tell us lies. All right, well, let me give you the last remedy. The third and final remedy for when you're spiritually dry is to do the opposite of what you feel. Do the opposite of what you feel. And do you know why that is? Because if we follow our feelings when we're spiritually dry, we'll almost always do the exact opposite of what we should do, of what's best for us. So, for example, I'll run into someone who hasn't been to church in a couple of weeks, and I'll ask them, hey, it's, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you at church lately. How's it going? And they'll say, yeah, I've, I've really been struggling the last couple of, couple of weeks. And I think to myself, all the more reason for you to go to church. All the more reason for you to be in fellowship with the church. All the more reason for you to be reading your Bible and praying. So then here's what I'm saying. I'm saying what the Puritan John Newton said when he wrote, Above all, keep close to the throne of grace. If we seem to get no good by attempting to draw near to him, we may be sure we shall get none by keeping away from him. In other words, when you're getting nothing out of Bible reading and prayer and going to church, make sure it's your highest priority to not miss it. Especially when you're getting nothing out of it. Don't miss it. Why? Because when you're getting nothing out of it, when you're spiritually dry, is when you need it more than ever. So when God feels distant, don't turn from him and, and run away. Pursue him with all your might. And when you feel like isolating yourself from fellowship with other believers, don't turn away from them. Press in harder than you ever have before. And when you feel like giving in to sin, don't turn in on yourself. Look outward to Jesus and then fight your sin harder than you ever have in your entire life. In other words, don't give in to your spiritual dryness. Acknowledge that it's a painful condition, both to God and others. And seek out the possible causes with God and in the context of community. But then be diligent in applying the practical remedies. And do you know why you should do that? Because of your future. Because of the future that God has promised you as one of his children. Realize, brothers and sisters, that at the end of the day, your spiritual dryness will not have the final word. It cannot and it will not because joy will. Joy and praise and glory will have the final word. And do you know how we know that? Because Jesus has told us 
in John chapter 4, verse 14, that His Holy Spirit is now a spring of water within us, welling up to eternal life. In other words, our future is not one of dryness and death, but of abundance and life. Why? Because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, let us carry on. Because this is what awaits us. To drink deeply from all eternity of fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who are blessed forever. Amen. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what unspeakably good news. We are so thankful for your Son, Jesus. We're so thankful that He has removed the sting of death from us by dying on the cross in our place. That He experienced the ultimate spiritual dryness and cried out on the cross in our place, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Father, because that's happened in our place, we can now draw near to you, knowing that you will never abandon us because you abandoned Jesus the way we deserve to be abandoned. And so now we can draw near and know that you are with us. So Father, when we experience spiritual dryness, that painful condition of feeling like you are a million miles away, we pray that you would give us the strength by your spirit to seek out the possible causes in the context of community and in the context of looking at your word and crying out to you. And we pray, Father, that, that we would be um, diligent in applying the practical remedies that you have provided for us in your word and in the community of believers and corporate worship. Father, we pray that you would, would draw us out of ourselves when we are most tempted to turn in on ourselves in a season of spiritual dryness, and instead we would run to you, we would run to your people, and we would run to the gospel. Thank you for the incredible, unspeakable good news of Jesus Christ and what that means for us now as those who are in him. And we pray that we would live every day in light of the fact that one day we will drink deeply and be satisfied and never be thirsty again because of the fellowship that we will experience on that great, great day with each other and with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We ask all these things in the name of our triune God and for his sake. Amen.